Welcome to the Living Leadership Podcast. Equipping leaders to live in Christ joyfully and serve Him faithfully. Welcome back to the Living Leadership Podcast and to the second episode of this series on motives in ministry with me, Paul Coulter, Living Leadership's Head of Ministry Operations. In the first episode in this series, I said that motives matter, but not the most. We looked at 1 Peter 5 and we saw three worthy and three unworthy motivations for ministry, not from compulsion, a desire for selfish gain or a hunger for control, but from the grace of God in the joy of God and with faith in God. So our motives matter, especially because, as Peter says in that passage, we'll give account to the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus. We serve for his glory and his reward alone. Motives matter, but they don't matter most. What matters most is our faithfulness to the gospel, the gospel of the Lord Jesus, that that's what we preach. And we learned that from the Apostle Paul in Philippians 1, where he rejoices that the gospel is preached even by people motivated by selfish ambition. We should be more concerned to speak truth about Christ than to expose the falsehood of others in their motivations. So make him the theme of your preaching and your conversations and your tweets or Facebook posts. Now in this episode, I want to shift the focus to our own motivation. And my title is Motives Are Mixed, But Not Forever. Now, it seems to me that we can't be free of mixed motives this side of glory. Scripture leads us to expect wrong motives in how God's people serve, even in how they pray. Otherwise, Peter wouldn't have warned the elders in 1 Peter 5, and Paul wouldn't have uh, struggled or encountered what he encountered in Philippians 1. Let's hear what James writes in James chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. I'm reading as I will in each of these episodes from the NIV. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Asking God for things with the wrong motives, or as the ESV says, asking wrongly. As I mentioned in the last episode, there's no specific word for motives or in the Greek of the New Testament. And the single word that the NIV translates here as wrong motives is kakos. It means sick or evil. So James is is quite literally talking about prayers that are sick, not in the the modern sense of cool, the skateboarding sense, but um, in the traditional sense, they're sick, poisonous. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in Revelation to the church in Laodicea. They were lukewarm. They made him want to vomit. Prayers that are sick. And what made these prayers sick was that they were asking for things simply so they could spend them on their own pleasures. They seem to have conceived of God as a a pleasure dispenser who exists simply to make us happy, to satisfy our desire. I suppose that's another kind of shameful game that 
First Peter 5 warns us against. It's like asking for a ministry opportunity simply because we like the kick of being up front or getting praise or it looks good on our CV. Or asking for greater payment for our ministry when the only reason we want more money is for our own comfort with no thought to what we could give to others. Let's be honest, each of us can slip into praying that way. We don't lay our hearts bare before God. We don't surrender our thoughts to his will. We don't allow the spirit to expose the hidden crevices where sick motives lurk. We are sick men and women at prayer. And no wonder the result is that the internal battle within our own hearts spills over into conflict with others, fights and quarrels, James says, come from the raging desires within us. When our hearts are set on selfish things, we will always be envious of those who get ahead of us, resentful of those who are recognised when we are passed over. May the Lord save us from such wrong motivation. But if we're honest, I think we need to admit that there's seldom a moment when we can say with all honesty that such motives are nowhere in our hearts. We've got to be honest. So how are we to handle those mixed motives? So for some practical thoughts on handling our own mixed motivations, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 4 verses 1 to 5. This then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At the same, at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Now again, the word motives here does not directly translate a Greek word. The word that the NIV translates as motives is bulas. And it's a word that's used repeatedly in the book of Acts and also in Ephesians 1 to describe the purposes or plans of God. In other words, what God has purposed or planned to do. So I suppose motives is a good translation because Paul is talking about the plans of our hearts, the purposes, as the ESV translates it, of our hearts. What we intended in our heart to come from our actions, that's our motive. And this passage, I think, provides us with three principles for dealing with mixed motivations in our own hearts. Firstly, we need to think of ourselves and to present ourselves to others as servants of Christ. Verse 1 carries on from what the Apostle Paul has taught in the preceding chapter where he described himself and Apollos and Cephas, Peter, as simply servants of Christ. Each of them had played a different part in the founding and development of the church in Corinth but all of them were simply God's servant. And in this chapter, he's going to develop that idea in relation to his ministry as an apostle. Now, I know that you and I are not apostles of Christ. 
But we can learn from Paul's example here about how we think of ourselves. If the apostles, with their authority given directly by the risen Jesus and their privilege of being entrusted directly with mysteries revealed from God to them, if they were merely servants of Christ, how much more are we who simply preach the message the apostles received and recorded for us in Scripture? You are a servant of Christ. Is that how you think of yourself? We talk a lot about our ministries, don't we, as if they were a thing that belonged to us. But ministry simply means service. And maybe if we shifted our vocabulary and spoke instead about my service for God, that would help us remember that we're servants. And servants are accountable to their master. Paul, as an apostle, was entrusted directly with the gospel. We are entrusted with that same gospel in our ministry. And so the most important question we must ask is whether what we teach is the gospel. Back to Philippians 1. We have no other message other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we will give an account. We have to prove faithful in this trust. So do I think of myself as a servant, honestly? As a servant doesn't concern himself with his own reputation. That's what Paul's saying when he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. It's not an arrogant statement saying that he knows best whatever anyone else thinks. What it is is a commitment to be faithful to the master, whatever the opinions of human beings. And we know that the Christians in Corinth were swayed by the teaching of false apostles that comes out in 2 Corinthians, people who boasted in themselves, their achievements and their power. But Paul's boast is in Christ alone. So do I think of myself as a servant? And do I present myself as a servant? Do I preach as if I am the authority or as if I'm a man under authority? Am I open as Paul was, especially in 2 Corinthians, about my weakness and my feelings? Do I clearly testify that it's Christ who's great? And I'm nothing more than a servant. Does that come through in how I act around people? Because a servant doesn't dominate conversations. She doesn't speak often about herself. She doesn't hog attention. She won't push herself forward. She will get her sleeves rolled up and serve in the unglamorous tasks where there's no glory. She's not defensive when challenged or aloof from others, but she invites their rebukes along with their encouragements, she turns all of this back to the one worthy theme of praise, the Lord Jesus. Is that you? Is that me? Lesson one in dealing with our own motivations is to be and to be seen to be servants. Secondly, we mustn't trust our own judgment, but God's alone. Now, in the last episode, I said that we are masters of self-justification. Self-deception is deeply ingrained in our patterns of thought. We can tell ourselves that we're the good guys and excuse all sorts of deficiencies in ourselves. The Apostle Paul says that not only does he care very little if others judge him, he also says, indeed, I do not even judge myself. In other words, he doesn't trust his own judgment. Now, if the Apostle Paul didn't trust his own judgment, neither should I. Yet it seems that sometimes in Christian circles we 
we come across as so certain of our judgment of others. And we know for certain that others are motivated by this or that. How so? I know that in Philippians 1 that we looked at in the last episode, Paul says there are people who are motivated by wrong motives. And I know there'll be people like that today. But I I think we can seldom say for certain which people those are. Perhaps that's why Paul doesn't name the people in Philippians 1 the way he names false teachers elsewhere. But even if in that instance Paul knew who those people were, we should be very wary about being certain that we can read another person's heart. We're not meant to bring the final judgment forward and into the present, but to leave that for God in his time. That's what Paul says in this passage. And that's why we're meant to assume the best about people. Love covers a multitude of sins. It rejoices with what is good. It is discerning, yes, certainly as Paul was and we must be too. So if you're not certain that someone's motives are broadly good, don't support them, don't partner with them. If they don't present themselves as a servant the way Paul did, don't regard them highly, however gifted they might appear to be. But hold your judgments lightly and be ready to change your mind and hope that they will repent and change if they are wrong. Above all, be very careful to test your own heart as to what other motives you might have for thinking that way about them. But as you do that, don't trust your own judgment, even of your own heart. Assume that your motives are mixed. Of course they will be, because the flesh is at work in you as well as the spirit. And the flesh, the person you would be without Christ, what we sometimes call the sinful nature, is always craving for attention, praise and satisfaction, but it's never satisfied. And of course, there will be recesses of your heart where wrong motivations lurk. Motives are mixed, accepted, but not forever. Paul says his conscience is clear. That's a really important principle for Paul. Conscience, as it's influenced by the Holy Spirit, can be a a guide to right actions and thoughts, but it's not infallible. In our self-deception, we can convince ourselves that we're right when we aren't. So ultimately, it's the Lord who judges us. And the day is coming when he will bring to light, Paul writes, what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. How does that make you feel? Hopefully a mixture of encouragement and challenge. Encouragement because you know that God will sort it out in the end. Those who are wrong in motives like the ones described by Paul in Philippians 1 will be judged by him. And this is the really exciting bit. God will sort out our mixed motives too. He's going to expose and burn away every recess of the self that is in selfish rebellion against him. He will purify us so that only what is from him and for his glory will remain. Doesn't that excite you? It should. And doesn't it challenge you too? To pick up on the image Paul uses in the preceding chapter in 1 Corinthians 3, how much of your work, how much of mine will be burnt up? And how much will stand the test because it was grounded firmly in the only foundation, which is Jesus Christ? Wood, hay and stubble or gold, silver and precious stones. So I don't have to wait until the final day of God's judgment for my heart and my work 
to be tested. I can ask God to test my heart today and each day. I can follow the Spirit's leading away from the longing of the flesh and towards righteousness. And that leads to my third and final point. I've said already that if we want to deal with our mixed motives, first, we must be and be seen to be servants. And second, we must not trust our own judgment, but submit to God's. But thirdly, we must serve God for the praise of God and no other. The Apostle Paul says that at the time when everything is exposed, each will receive their praise from God. Now, I have to confess I struggle with that. I'd rather think about me praising God than God praising me. Doesn't seem right. But it's a biblical principle that God will praise those who serve him as good and faithful servants. And that's the praise you really want. It's not the praise your flesh wants. Your flesh is just like the religious hypocrites that the Lord Jesus spoke about. They did all of their pious acts in public so that God or so that they would get the praise of people. And Jesus says that's all the praise they're going to get. No praise from God. Now, your motives are mixed. I've said that already. Accept it. Get over it. Deal with it. But never let discouragement or self-doubt hold you back from serving God wholeheartedly. Get on with serving for the praise of God and no other. It's one of the subtle ploys of the evil one to tie us up in our own inadequacies and uncertainties about whether this course of action is really for God's glory or for our own. If you wait until you can resolve that question with certainty and be 100% sure that all your motives are pure, you'll never do anything. So subject your heart to God. Welcome the feedback and advice of other godly people to whom you've opened your heart and get on with doing what you know to be consistent with the will of God. It's not usually that difficult to discern. He's made his priorities very clear in Scripture, and he wants you to preach the gospel with clear application to the lives of the people you preach to. He wants you to shepherd people in compassion, and he wants you to equip people for their service for him. That's the call of gospel ministry. Preach the gospel, shepherd people in compassion, and equip people for service. Now, I know it might be tricky at times to know exactly where and when you're meant to do that, what programs you should start or stop in order to achieve that goal. You're going to need wisdom to know how to say yes and how to say no and when to say each. But the vital principle is that you dedicate yourself in whatever opportunities God gives you to gospel ministry for the glory of God seeking his praise, not the praise of people. More on that in the third episode. But if, like me and like every gospel minister who has ever lived, your motives are mixed and you know that in your heart, well, that's a good thing that you recognise it. It's more dangerous if you fool yourself into thinking that you've got no hidden recesses of selfishness. But if you're aware of it, do these three things that Paul models for us in 1 Corinthians 4. 1. Consider yourself to be and present yourself to others as nothing more than a servant of Christ. 2. Don't trust your own judgment, but seek God's. And 3. 
serve for the praise of God and no other. Lord, make it so in our lives, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Leadership Podcast. We hope what you've heard today spurs you on in your walk with the Lord. If you're encouraged by today's episode, consider sharing it with a friend or colleague or leaving us a review on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. If you'd like to engage further with us on anything we've discussed today, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on any major social media application at Living Leaders, or you can visit our website, www.livingleadership.org, where you'll find even more support and resources to help you live in Christ joyfully and serve him faithfully. Blessings. Blessings.